privilege of being with your people together. Lord, as we reflect back on the day and the lessons we've learned and the text we've considered, I pray your blessing on this time of uh, fellowship together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will begin with hymn number 494, Like a River Glorious. Oh, 
Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Grace. And thank you all. Uh, this is one of our discussion times, kind of a casual time to talk about the sermon today and things we learned. Uh, let me begin by getting connected here <clears throat> to this device. Now, I'll start by just mentioning that uh, not all of you were in the adult Sunday school class, but I heard about something that really surprised me, that Jimmy Durante recorded a, an album of sacred music. Now, some of you young folks uh, wouldn't know that name, uh, but, uh, but I can vaguely recall it, and that was just one of those things that just didn't seem appropriate. And I can't remember now, or, or, or just didn't connect, it, there was a disconnect in my mind. And um, R.C. Sproul said in particular, I can't remember what the context was, but he heard him uh, singing, um, He Touched Me. Well, for the miracle of the internet, I would like to share a few moments of singing, He Touched Me. And that will be the sacred beginning to our study tonight. Does that look like you? I think he's on Spotify.
Williams. He's got a lot of good ones on there. Yeah, that's and this this is an album called Songs for Sunday. Apparently, a whole album. It sounds genuine, doesn't it? I mean, uh, and so I guess the context was the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Um, how Jimmy Durante figured into that, I'm not sure, but. He more like narrates it. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'd have to say, I, it never occurred to me that, that Jimmy Durante would sing such songs. But there you go. Maybe, maybe he's a believer. Yeah. Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knew everything with that. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Very distinctive, very distinctive style. Okay, so this is, we're talking today about, in the passage in particular, in, our, in, in John chapter 10. Uh, we be, remember it began. We began tonight the today's session there in the Solomon's portal. It was actually had already been there. It's it's the uh, Hanukkah season, the feast of dedication, as it's called in John, which is feast of Hanukkah, and the portal of Solomon's um, porch, or I can't remember now how the, our text. It's the Stoa in Greek. Is this porch? It's a colonnaded porch. On the east side of the Temple Mount. Is so, there supposed to be an arrow up there? I'm not seeing where you're pointing to. There's supposed to be a, a little laser point. Nothing. Okay. Let's see if I can you find something. Use a analog. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I may have to do that. Yeah. How about this? Yeah, yeah there you go. <clears throat> Thank you for bringing that to my. So, so along here is is where this Sol, and again Solomon's porch or colonnade or Greek stoa. Um, it's called that because the tradition, according to Josephus, who is uh, just he's he's born about the time Jesus is uh, crucified, I think. So in other words, but he's a, he's a very contemporary, and he says that this. Porch was called Solomon's porch because the <laughs> tradition was that that goes back to the time of Solomon, so it was very old. And that's where, and, and right in here is where the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin met. So I mean, he's right in the center of Jewish activity, of Jewish leadership, of rabbinic teaching. They surround him. Uh, John tells us in the colonnade, challenging us, just out with it. Are you the Messiah? And, and that kind of leads to things. They charged him with blasphemy, were prepared to throw stones at him, and then he quickly departed. I don't know if he came down this gate or if he went out the gate beautiful down here, which would have gone down here and down these gates, but he went. By the way, there's the gate beautiful. We're told then that he went back to where John baptized in the beginning. And that is mentioned in John chapter 1, the baptism of Jesus uh, and remember, by this time, as I said this morning, John the Baptist is with the Lord. He was imprisoned by Herod Antipas, um, Herod the Great's son. Uh, he, he ended up having him executed. And uh, so, he's, so he is no longer on the scene. But Jesus goes back to that place. And I don't know if, they, if the followers were still there or they gathered there when they heard Jesus is there. It's not entirely clear. But I wanted to kind of give you, again, I like to always give you a, a feeling and a context of things. So as far as the baptismal site, it wasn't this one. 
<laughs> if you go to Israel and you want to be uh, baptized in the Jordan River, this is the place to go. You'll notice the, the water looks nice. The environment looks nice. Um, sometimes there's laser pointers in the water. Uh, but it's all set up. I think you pay a fee. You get to rent a white garment. You get a certificate. Um, and whoever is, you bring along to baptize you can do it. Here I am baptizing a good friend. So that's the tr this is the what I call popular side. It's really well organized. It's you know moves quickly, and it's a it's a and you baptize in the Jordan River. This site is up just south of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, remember Israel. When you think of Israel, Mediterranean Sea. But if you could just kind of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, and to find the best way to find things always, I think, is go to the top of the Dead Sea, go left. Or west, and there's Jerusalem, right? The kind of the top of the mountain range here. Again, Jerusalem. Well, we'll talk about that. But up here is where the 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 um, popular site is. The traditional site is down here. Let me let me um, zoom in on that for you. You can kind of see it there. Bethabar, Bethabar is where it's called, in some translations, or sometimes Bethany depending on the text you're looking at. And so if we look at, from Jerusalem, as I mentioned this morning, it's about 20 miles, or 18.88 miles. And the way I did that is I have a Bible app that has a map in it, and so you can put the cursor on the two spots and it tells you. So, um, But again, that's, um, that's not a direct... Uh, Path It would take you more than a 20-mile trip just handling the winding work trails and all that. But that's as if, again, I don't like to say as the crow fly because crows are unclean. But a dove, as the dove flies, it's about 18.8 miles. So if you make that journey, and again, one of the things I mentioned, uh, Jerusalem at about 2,400 feet altitude. Um, this Bethabara here would be about... Uh, 1,190 feet below the negative. So again, it's a, the, the Dead Sea here is the lowest part of the world, and um, they're getting awfully close when you get there. So what does the uh, historic or traditional site look like? Uh, this is a picture I took. You can see, again, I'm not sure if you have to bring your own white gowns. Uh, we didn't do a baptism there, so um, I don't know if there's a place there to provide it, but you get the scene. of You see people gathering for baptism. It seemed like it was especially popular with the Russian Orthodox uh, or Eastern Orthodox. So here was a, we watched a um, kind of a lot of folks coming. It looked like a Russian Orthodox crowd uh, doing their baptisms here. Now, if you look at that water, maybe you understand why I like the popular side. <laughs> I, I'm not sure um, I would want to do this without ear and eye protection and, you know, clip my nose. And, uh, why is the popular side? What was that cage around it for? Oh, that's just, you know, it's just like if you go to a, a big sporting event, you, you know, or you go to the, uh, the, the airport. Those are just to move the crowd along into the water. So you can, you can, they can move them through and move them quick. I'm in the water too. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and 
And apparently those are the originals. So that's what Jesus would have walked through. <laughs> right out into the water. <laughs> he had to take a little ticket. He was number 38. But anyway, so this you see, and it's kind of a, interesting to watch. But but this is, again, why I would I, I go visit here, but don't. Go in there. I, I, I would. Um, yeah, uh, there's and there's been issues about what what gets put into this water. We won't go too much further. But anyway, this is the traditional site. Well, how about the other place though? Is it? It looks pretty good. It's it's coming straight out of the Sea of Galilee. Oh, okay. So and and that's pretty, that's been that sea, sea of Galilee has been a water source for years. I think Israel is now like seventy five percent. Their water, their drinking water, is desalinized from the Mediterranean. Their water is a huge issue everywhere in the world. The Sea of Galilee has been really overtaxed, and so. Um, but all that to say, in other words, it's a functional, useful water source for agriculture and for um, for drinking. So we're down here. Honestly, um, there've been challenges about sewage and that kind of stuff in the Dead Sea. Uh, shrinking, and the Dead Sea's been shrinking too. Yeah, and so and that's so that's so this is going to help that if you're taking all the water out of the Jordan from the Sea of Galilee and you're using it for agriculture, well, it's not going into the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's kind of the the feel. Of it. Um, so, um, I'm trying to think of anything. What I'm, so I'm going to show you a brief video uh, that will give you more of a feel of this site. So, what's interesting is. Admirers, this site has just been recently recognized by the UN or something as some international site of significance. There's a special label for that. The other side of the river, right across from where we are, so over here, that's Jordan. And here's Israel. And if you look around uh, while you're there, you would find uh, soldiers on both sides. Um, and, but that's, that's Jordan. Yes, sir. So this would have been close to where the Israelites came into the Promised Land from Jericho. So might this be close? Well, again, let me go back. Um, I guess this is more. Yeah. Oh, here's Jericho. So you see, this could very well be. Um, <clears throat> yes. The one tradition is. Well, you'll see. I think you'll see that in this video. Frankly, I watched a few. Um, but but one some tradition and and some evidence that this would have been at this site can, can we be sure it's here and not you know a little bit further north uh, not sure but but all that to say this is considered a site that where they say Israel crossed and where Elijah and Elisha uh, had their parting so And so that's another reason not to be baptized here, because when you go, if you're being dunked down in, you might hit one of those 12 stones if you get too close to where the, the pile is. Do you know how deep that is there? Is it in the middle? Is it... I don't know how deep it is in the middle, and of course it depends on what time of year. Well, actually, this would have been, this. my pictures are here are taken in March when it was a very um, wet season, so, so that's pretty full looking actually. Yeah. Uh, you see this lady, she's not entirely out in the center, but she's able to walk at that place. And these are the original rails, too. 
steps. Yes, other steps. Okay. So let's watch this uh, again in just a few minutes uh, of a video describing the area, and then maybe we can talk about questions you might have. Welcome to CBN News Virtual Holy Land Tour, where you get to see the Bible come to life from the comfort of your own home. Many Christians like to be baptized when they come to the Holy Land, and as Chris Mitchell reports, one of the main sites they visit is an area where many believe John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus and where the children of Israel crossed into the Promised Land. For Christians, being baptized in the Jordan River is a profound spiritual experience. Uh, because it's my dream and uh, Jesus uh, was baptized here and we were blessed. I feel like I birthed again because Jesus was baptized here. The site is called Qasr El Yehud. Israel developed this site for Christian pilgrims. Now about three quarters of a million people visit here each year. While there's no proof this is the exact location of the baptism of Jesus, it remains a special place. I read the Bible, I preach the Bible, and uh, and for us to be here and actually experience it firsthand, it sort of underscores and uh, affirms what, uh, what they hear week after week uh, as we present God's Word to, uh, to the people. This is the area where some people believe the prophet Elijah ascended into heaven in a fiery chariot, and where the children of Israel crossed over the River Jordan into the <clears throat> Promised Land. Tour guide Ben David Catriel gives two reasons why this might be the area Joshua brought the Israelites on their way to Jericho. There are passages in the Jordan, places that are easier to pass. That never changes, that's topography. But except that we have Jericho, there is no argument about the uh, location of Jericho. Actually, this is the first Aliyah that took place. And this is a combination where the, the, the Bible of the stories, the Bible meet. Retired General Uzi Dayan says the Jewish people returned here from Egypt more than 3,000 years ago. Three millennia later, Jews are still returning to the land of Israel, where you can see biblical prophecies come to life. This can happen only here. You can't do that in any other country in the world. And if you believe in the book, so... Israel is the best place for that. Come, make this part of your plans, because this will enrich your faith and deepen your uh, devotion to Jesus, which is what it's all about. For many, it's especially meaningful just before the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chris Mitchell, Casa El Yehud Baptismal Site, the Jordan River. Thanks for being with us today. Tomorrow we'll take you to the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea. So, um... You noticed that uh, if, you, if you looked around, there were some buildings, there was even some seating areas so people could have services. When they said they had recently developed it, one of the developing things was they had to clear mines out uh, because you know, that's a few feet across from the border of Jordan. And so um, that's one thing you, you learned. There's, there's certain signs. I think we've got a red triangle in Israel. And, and if you're walking on a path and you see them off the path, then you stay on the path or... Uh, it could ruin your day. So, but so that was one of the things they did is they had to clear the mines and make it a safe place. But it has a, a lot of history in that area. So um, Jordan has, has has realized there's value in developing that too, especially if you think so. It says Jesus. Let me go back all the way to some maps. Um, 
Jesus came over into this region. He came across the Jordan, and that would be in the New Testament uh, considered Perea. And so, so he was on the eastern side of the Jordan uh, River. And, um, and so here he was, some 20 miles from Jerusalem. In other words, if people at Jerusalem wanted to talk with him, they could go out and do that. But it wasn't quite in, as in your face, and so it wasn't going to risk an early arrest. You know, he was on a schedule in God's plan to give his life at Passover, not at Hanukkah. And so here is where he came and did his ministry. He didn't have the retired IDF general named Uzi to look after him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great name, Resident Uzi. And it's just, I think I heard his last name was Diane, and I, I wonder if he's in any way related to uh, Moshe Diane. What, what is Shephelah? Uh, Shephelah is, um, this, well, I think this, actually, this kind of shows you here. Oh, there. Oh, yeah, there it is. It's these. It's this lower region, so uh, coastally, but it's this lower region below the mountain ridge, uh, and to the east. So, yeah. So that would be uh, what you call it, the Philistines. Yeah, the Philistines are definitely. See, here's some of the cities. Gaza. Of course, we know of the Gaza Strip today, but that was one of the mm -hmm. Philistine cities. This was Ashkelon and um, Ashdod. Joppa up here, remember that's where um, Peter went and and, and visited. Uh, I think the, or that is that where he was when he went then and visited with Cornelius. But he was you know this you see this uh, yeah I think Peter was here and they came to get him to go and visit with and see, uh, see Cornelius. <coughs> and here you see again perspective. Here's the city of Samaria. Uh, north, uh, uh, north. So there's a city of Samaria and the region of Samaria. Yes, I so no, it's called. So no, it's the the region was called after its capital. And yeah, and there's a kind of bigger picture of things. And up here, in terms of modern thinking, this is where the Golan Heights are. Uh, kind of a northern, this was part of Syria until uh, it was captured in the, uh, by the Israelis uh, during an invasion. I think that was the 73 war. So any, any thoughts or comments on today's passage where Jesus is interacting either with the uh, Jewish leaders or once he crossed over the, to the Jordan? I take some encouragement. The great prophet, um, John the Baptist, is dead. And often we might think, okay, and so the, the, the movement dies. <clears throat> but it doesn't. We see that they're still believing and, and, and quoting his message. And, and they, they got the idea. You know, he kept saying, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, they said, this is the one... Uh, John talked about, and look, he's doing these miracles. He truly is greater than John. But it's just encouraging to me that um, his ministry didn't just dry up. Some continued to, to look to the Lord and, and look to the coming promised Messiah. And that made them receptive to Jesus. And that was, that was John's job, get people ready 
to meet the Messiah. You know, it's the leaders, the, the Jewish leaders, uh, where he was, wanted to kill him. He goes down to the simple folk, more or less, and gets away from it. Kind of reminds me of academia and normal people. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, so George making a good point. You know, he's rejected <laughs> by the religious uh, authorities, uh, the religious establishment, can we call it that? And the, but the common folk embrace him. They're not, they're not as worried about the traditions as much as what does God say. Um, and so that's that's a that's a problem. Some churches and some people that that's one of the things you talk to them about Christ. And they say, I've got a church. I'm not talking about what church you go to. I'm talking about do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, yeah, they were. It seems like the Jewish leaders were more concerned about. Uh, protecting their turf, protecting their traditions, then really examining, could this be the Messiah? And if it is, then he should tell us what the scriptures mean. If you look through the Gospels, very seldom do you see Jesus really blasting into someone. When you do, it's usually a religious leader. And, he, and, he, and those are the ones you know, that talks about him eating with tax gatherers, sinners, uh, but it's the, you know, read Matthew 23, and he really speaks about the, the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. Uh, the whole lesser the greater thing of the, the, the gods. Mm -hmm. really, I mean, starts out talking about the Old Testament passages where you know, they call gods. And say, okay, well, this is you know, a little more palatable probably than you know, it gets to us. Verse 36, he says, now wait a minute. I'm the one that the Father sent. And you're going to, you know, you're calling me blasphemy because uh, I'm claiming to be God and I am the Son of God. I'm like, oh, oh, here we go. Back at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just stopped and said, well, it's just a, it's just a label that uh, we can see it can be applied to leaders and that sort of thing. And then, But then, yeah, he ups the ante and says, and those were just uh, human authorities. I'm, I'm sent from heaven. Gee, watch that when you're reading the Gospels, how often Jesus will say, I came into the world. That's unique to Jesus. The rest of us, our start is in this world. But his, in his deity, he came into the world. He's, he's not from here. And pretty soon you're back at it, telling them, you know, if you believe me not, believe the works, you know, I mean, it's, again, it's back to their lack of reception. Yes, and it, but it's, it's striking to me that, and of course, John talks a lot about the signs that Jesus performed. Uh, Turning water to wine. That's the first sign that he performed. And, and he keeps bringing out these. He doesn't record all the miracles, but he records them. And I think, the, and again, the whole point is, these are the authenticating evidences. You know, you go and, and visit a doctor, and, and does he, okay, he wears a white coat, but is he really a doctor? Or did he just get a white coat? And, and you look on the wall, and there's the documents give the evidence that he's authenticated. And so he's, he, you know, he keeps talking. He's from heaven. And the miracles are the evidence for that. I like the guy uh, from India that picked the rock out of the stream. Yes. It's been laying in there for centuries. and The inside is as dry as it can be. That's a good illustration to, from uh, Sadhu 
uh, Sundar Singh, I think is his name, from the Indian evangelist. The rock that was underwater for centuries cracked it open, dries a bone on the center, and that's a good example. We can be, we can spend a lot of time exposed to religion without it reaching our heart. And, uh, also reminds you of whitewashing. You know, yes, it's wet on the outside, but nice and clean, maybe. Yeah, even. yeah. But what's on the inside? Yeah, whitewashing. Okay, so Jesus said the miracles are, he, said, and he keeps pointing back to the miracles. So when he talked to John's disciples, when he talks to the religious leaders. So how do we know that, that Jesus' miracles really happened? Okay, the Bible tells us. Um, and so someone says, well, how do I know, you know, maybe I'm not sure the Bible is true. The witnesses, eyewitnesses. Okay, like Like who? Well, everybody around that saw the woman healed and uh, this morning, Jairus saw his daughter. Uh, everybody saw uh, Lazarus come out of the grave. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, the more than 500 that have saw Christ after the resurrection. So, uh, John, or John, John is telling us, and George is telling us what John said, but, but yes, so, so, is there evidence for those miracles? And one of the things we say is there were lots of eyewitnesses. Of course, the Bible, you know, the Bible is God's word, but someone maybe is not convinced of that. It's still, it's still a very early written record. I mean, in terms of historical documents, it's unparalleled in that it's written right during the time frame, right after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. What's one of the reasons that's significant, and, and they're find they finding manuscripts that are with, within that time frame, within a hundred years, they're like second century, and Jesus you know, was in the first century. Um, uh, uh, where was I going to go with that? There, so the so the text is in itself valid as an early witness, but also if you published a book saying all these miracles happened and they didn't. How would that fly? That thing would have been shot down and never have reached any kind of circulation. Everybody would have been saying, well, this is all a bunch of lies. This didn't happen. But there it is. Um, it, 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 it was continued to be accepted and spread, the book, even though people who lived there, remember Paul will talk about in 1 Corinthians 15, and there are people alive who were part of that 500. So Paul could say, you can go today and talk to one of the witnesses of the resurrection. I always think how exciting, but again, there were witnesses to these miracles, and and we're happy to tell you about. It. You know, even even today, what evidence what evidence do we have that Caesar ever existed? With historical records, just like from scripture. <clears throat> yes, and, and some of those those authors, some of those events, the only biographies we have are the copies are several hundred years older. Much better evidence than textual evidence in the New Testament. Another side thing is in the later Jewish literature, um, again, anti, you know, uh, that rejects Jesus as Messiah, certainly, but they'll talk about him sometimes as a sorcerer. Why do they do that? Because you have to explain the miracles. And so, so sometimes they'll say, yeah, he was doing it through spells and this kind of stuff, but they're having to deal with the reality. They did miracles. And so 
So those are the the first the, the first hand witnesses. The record of that written that was accepted and, and not disputed. And and you know, for example, when Peter gets up and says, I don't have to tell you these things to the crowd in Jerusalem, you've all been here. Um when the Emmaus disciples, remember they're walking on the road, and Jesus said, What things are you talking about? Are you the only person in the area who doesn't know these things? Where have you? You know, what cave have you been hiding in? Well, actually, I've been in this. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was so it's very well known and and undisputed. That's why he mentions those works. They don't say, You didn't do any miracles. We're not talking about that. You know, then too, all the stuff that uh, that they find, uh, I forget what the place in Scripture was, they said never existed, and then they dug it up and found it had a huge library and everything else. So, uh, you know, archaeology mm-hmm. backs it up. That's one of the key, uh, that's a, an interesting, uh, Sir William Ramsey was one of the, was a an unbeliever and who was sought out to disprove the Bible. And he said, you know, Luke set himself up. He is very specific in his historical record. And yet we don't know of these places he's talking about. They're not there. So I'm just going to go and prove that. And he'd go, follow Luke's account. And sure enough, he discovered there what Luke said would be there. And he eventually came to faith in Christ. He was just, the evidence is there. It's indisputable. Somebody talking recently about um, some of the other stories that people put out about the resurrection to kind of discount it. And I mean, a lot of those stories don't even appear until a pretty substantial time after the, the death of Christ. I mean, so nobody was saying those things until later. It's like, why not? Well, probably because all the eyewitnesses were still around and knew that it was true and, and couldn't get a good, good attack on the truth going until there was nobody there with first-hand accounts. Good point. So, so a lot of those tales that started gaining some kind of traction, it was after all the first century witnesses, the eyewitnesses weren't as readily available to, to detract it. So I bring all that up just to say those miracles are a valid evidence. Jesus pointed again and again, and, and that's what the purpose of the miracles were. The miracles were acts of kindness and goodness, but it wasn't because uh, he was trying to, you know, expel illness from the world because it's still here. But they were evidence of messianic promise fulfillment. In that, the the you know, disease will be absent in the kingdom. So when the king's there, he walks into a city. Disease is you know excluded. So so those miracles are are messianic evidence. And again, to me, the classic is when he tells John says. Are you, the, are you the Messiah or not, basically? And he doesn't just say, tell him back yes or no. He just says, tell him what you have seen. And again, the, the Christian faith is a historical faith. And, and it's, 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 there's evidence for those historical people, events, and teachings of Jesus. So, yeah, that's, so that's why it's so significant. If you won't believe my words, look at, look at my works. But don't look for that today because Jesus isn't here today in bodily form. And so that's why we have to look at the historical evidence to see and the accounts to see those miracles. I like when Jesus goes to 
what I probably consider an obscure psalm to make his point. And, you know, that's when he's talking to the Jewish leaders who, you know, if they're all they say they are, they should have known it also. John's poor, John, why do I keep saying that? That's right. George is talking about it. Jesus went to, I think most of us would, would say Psalm 82 isn't the top of our list of psalms to memorize or study. And partly those are strange. What do you mean that he calls them gods? But how Jesus could go to that psalm and pull one word. And again, they can't dispute that. Or to me, when he later on, you know, when they're coming to criticize him, um, he says, well, tell you what, I'll ask you a question. When David says, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, how can that be? If the Messiah is his son, why does David call him Lord? In other words, if he says descendant, why does he call him Lord? And there's a compelling silence in response. How do you argue that? How can you be a higher human Lord than the king? If you're the divine Lord. And, and so, so yes, he, he brings them to the scriptures. He brings them to the scriptures. Again and again, he'll say, haven't you read? He doesn't argue rabbis. He argues scripture. Challenges us. Do we know the scriptures well? Yeah. Again, George, you got a good point. I, I can't imagine the time I've ever used Psalm eighty-two in witnessing or in apologetics. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this? What comes up in chapter eleven? Lazarus. Lazarus. Yeah, we're getting close, and that gets us close to the end. And so, so here comes a period of. Or he's going to be based over there where John did his ministry. Uh, but then word's going to come. He whom you love is ill. That's a powerful passage coming up. And again, that will be one of those miracles right across the street from Jerusalem. And we'll, um, I've got a, some videos I will show you. Uh, we're going to go take a video tour of what may be the tomb of Lazarus. So, um, that, but that's down the road. Yeah, we'll get to that one. Any other comments, thoughts, reactions? So what's the takeaway for us? We have evidence. What was the, the guy you called Bertram Russell? Not enough evidence. Um, can't have a leg to stand on. There's evidence everywhere. Yes. But it's easy for someone to say there is no evidence. I think I shared with you the time someone approached me and said, okay, I've finished college now. I'm ready to look into the claims of Christianity before I reject it. If you have any arguments <laughs> to make, any books for me to read, send them to me. And then later on, he called me up and said, so... Of course, the, the Bible is full of contradictions. Did you read those books I sent you? No, then you can't say that. Next objection. <laughs> In other words, I sent you the evidence. And eventually he said, that's right. That's You're right. Uh, you, I, I can't argue that if I haven't read your arguments. But Bertrand Russell, he's just, it's easy to say that. Oh, great philosopher says there is no evidence. But that's the hard-hearted, unwilling-to-believe attitude instead of facts. There, aren't, there is proof. 
there have been a number of people um, that really looked at the evidence and became believers. Ramsey, that you mentioned, um, oh, who's the guy who writes all the books about evidence for Christianity? Strobel. Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. Yeah. yeah. Josh McDowell was sought out to disprove it. Yeah. I don't remember. I mentioned Ramsey, and he had a good friend. Actually, they were kind of in tandem going to attack Christianity. Uh, Ramsey went after the archaeological historical side, and his, his other friend was going to say, well, if we can just, all we have to do is um, go after the conversion of Saul and prove that it wasn't genuine. Yeah. And they both kind of came back sheepishly and said, I'm coming to faith. You know, they both evaluated the evidence, and it was compelling. Though fundamentally, I mean, and that's all very valuable and helpful. Can the evidence change a heart? That's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You can wash that uh, that river rock as much as you want, but you're not cleaning the inside. It's, it's, it takes God who can crack a river rock and, and, and go straight to the heart of it. And, and when we look at ourselves, um, the evidence helps us understand but it is God who has to give us the eyes to see. It's grace. It's grace. There's new meaning to a heart of stone, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. <laughs> it sure does. A heart of stone. And that's a good example. Well, I, um, I think we can close in prayer and then have a final song with Carl leading us. Not, not Carl singing, don't worry. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we thank you, Father, that it is a faith that is, that is grounded well on the facts of history, the works and words of Christ. Father, most supremely, we thank you that you enable us to see those facts through the eyes of faith. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and our time together, and we pray your blessing on this in Jesus' name. Our closing hymn will be M206. There is a redeemer. <laughs> See you.
close in prayer, I'd like to uh, use a prayer I found in a Puritan book of prayers, and it's entitled, God, the source of all good. Let's pray. Thou hast made me what I am and given me what I have. In thee I love and, I, and move and have my being. Thy presence has set the bounds of my habitation and wisely administers all my affairs. Give me to feel a need of his continual saviorhood and cry with Job, I am vile. With Peter, I perish. With the publican, be merciful to me, a sinner. I come to thee in the all-prevailing name of Jesus with nothing of my own to plead, no works, no worthiness, no promises. Impress me deeply with the sense of thine omnipresence that thou art about my path, my ways, my lying down, my end. Help me to see how good thy will is in all, and even when it crosses mine, teach me to be pleased with it. Lord, we thank you that your Son is God as well. We thank you that we see that throughout the Scriptures. We thank you that you are the source of all good. Lord, may we trust in you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Christ's name, amen. amen. amen.